Well, it is so good to be here. It is so good to be here. And I'm not going to cry in the introduction because that would just be that would just be not okay. <clears throat> we'll cry later, not right now. Um, but it is good to be in the Lord's place with the Lord's people. Um, our topic for this evening, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Our topic for this evening is the wise men. And I have to give a vast amount of the credit to my third favorite Bible teacher, John MacArthur. He has an amazing sermon series. He's got a great couple of blog posts. He has a book even, um, not just on the wise men, but on the whole birth of Christ. And so if you want to talk more after, I can point you to his resources or try my best to answer your questions. Um, But he really does need to get most of the credit for what I'm going to be presenting you tonight. So if you wonder where I got that from, um, John MacArthur is uh, my main source for tonight. Um, So... Because, you know, of everything that I could say, there's three more things that I didn't get to say, and I promised I would keep it under 30 minutes. Um, and it doesn't count. This is introduction. Don't start the timer yet. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I wish it could be, I told my friend earlier, I wish it could be the Calvary Bible Church Ladies Christmas Conference, and then I could get all of my information in. But uh, we only have uh, a short time together, so let's go ahead and, and propel ourselves straight into it. Um, our text this evening is going to be Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, that's where you should turn. If you don't, fear not, I'm going to read to you. That is totally fine. Um, I'm prepared to do that. Um, It's important for us to remember in the Gospels that in each one, Jesus has a little bit different flavoring. There's a little bit different of his character. There's different things that are brought out about him. We see him in a little bit different light in each of the four Gospels. And in Matthew's Gospel, the main point that Matthew drives home again and again is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king and therefore to be worshipped. So if you can keep that in the back of your brain while I um, read, um, that will be helpful. But before you read your Bibles, the important thing that you should always do before you read his written word is to pray. So we're going to do that just one more time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you so much for the ladies that are here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you that we can look into your word and see who you are and see your character. Lord, will you change us? Will you change us by your word? Will you help us to leave here different women than when we came because we look more like your son because of the written word that you had given to us? May we, Lord, just love your word. May I be a good teacher. Will you help me to present your Bible um, truthfully and accurately? And will you help all of our hearts to grow closer to you? That's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, Behold, Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd your people, my people. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went another way. 
And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Okay, so first I want to give you a history lesson. Um, There's some really wonderful historical facts that will help this text come to life. So let's go back and do a little bit of history. Now, the word wise men that is used here is actually an untranslatable word, meaning there is no word. So if there is no word, I have a better word. Let's use the word magi. So when I say magi, that's what I'm going to be saying for the remainder of the time here. That's who I mean as these wise men here. But the word magi really is a better word since there is no word. Okay. So the magi were actually an entire tribe of people. They were a tribe of people that were from a larger group of people called the Medes. So in the ancient world, there were four major um, world empires started with the Babylonian Empire, then it went to the Medo-Persian Empire, then Alexander the Great came in and conquered a whole bunch of stuff, and then we had the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And at least one of those should ring some sort of bell, okay? Um, So in each of these ancient world empires, the Medes were present. They are a very ancient people group. So this people group had tribes. They were divided up, and one of the tribes was the tribe of the Magi. The Magi were the priestly tribe. They were the hereditary priestly tribe. In other words, you didn't just decide to be a magi. You had to be born into it. There had to be blood. So it's kind of like the Levites were to the nation of Israel. Okay, Israel was divided up into tribes, and the Levites were the hereditary priestly tribe. It's, it's kind of like that. It's that model. Now, the magi were a very powerful people. They were advisors If anyone in royalty had any problems, they needed guidance, they needed wisdom, they needed counsel, you turned to the Magi. They were the ones that had the the answers. They were highly respected. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence. They were revered, not just spiritually, but politically, too. They held a lot of sway. They were knowledgeable in astronomy. They were knowledgeable in astrology and divination. So pagan, to be sure. Okay, they were monotheistic, but it was counterfeit. They got it wrong. It wasn't the one true God that they worshipped. So how in the world did this pagan tribe of priests come to worship our Lord in Matthew chapter 2? This is where it gets exciting. Okay, so the Magi also claimed to be able to interpret dreams. Now, remember I told you that they were present in the Babylonian Empire. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a skip backward to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, and we're in, we're in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is having these horrible dreams. And he can't figure out what these dreams, these nightmares, he can't figure out what they mean. And so he does what everyone did, and they consult, he consults the Magi. What do these dreams mean? Well, the Magi have no idea. They can't interpret his dream. They don't know what the dream means. And so here's what it says in Daniel chapter 2. Because of this the fact that no one could interpret his dream. The king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So they can't interpret his dream. He gets mad and it's off with everybody's head. Everybody has to die. Just kill them all. 
Okay, so the decree goes out, and Daniel steps forward and says, I can interpret your dream, because unlike all of these pagans, I have the one true God who can interpret your dream, and he, through me, can help you understand what your dream means. So he does, and I'm way paraphrasing. You can read more about this in Daniel chapter 2. He does interpret the dream, and Nebuchadnezzar is so pleased with him that he promotes Daniel. And in verse 48, it says he promotes him to be, quote, the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Did you get that? This is huge. He promotes Daniel to be the head of the pagan soothsayers that have all this political and spiritual sway. Daniel is now their leader. He is the one that is in charge of them. And now they have exposure to the one true God. Do you have goosebumps? Because I do. Because you can bet that we know what kind of man Daniel was, right? You read the book of Daniel, and you know what kind of man Daniel was. You can bet that he was preaching to them about the coming Messiah and about the prophecy and about the wonders of the one true God. So we see how 600 years before Christ was even born, we see how God moves this one man into position through heartache and trial. Think of Daniel's life. Through all of this trial and heartache, God moves him into position so that the truth of himself can be made known among the Magi. Now, not all the Magi became believers. We have several accounts. Um, in the book of Acts, I think there's at least two where there are wicked Magi. You know, he didn't, they weren't all believers. There were still some evil, wicked Magi who were pagans that did not come to know um, God. But <clears throat> the ones we see in Matthew chapter 2 were. It says they worshipped Christ like they were the first Gentiles. So through the centuries, the Magi are keeping their amazing influence, they're keeping their power, they're keeping their place of prominence in the Eastern world. And in fact, they were so revered and they were so trusted that they were the ones that held the power to crown the kings. A king was not a king in the Eastern world unless the Magi made them a king. They were king makers. Do we see where this is heading? So through the next 600 years, God maintained some true God-fearing Gentile magi among the corrupt ones. And now we're back in Matthew chapter 2 in our historical timeline. Uh, let's note here that Rome and the Eastern world did not get along. Okay? Rome was afraid of the Eastern world. They were these mysterious people that always had some drama going on. There was some rebellion. There was always some kind of uprising. There was always some kind of war, some kind of battle, some kind of bloodshed. They did not get along. And then we have Herod, the king of the Jews. Well, he wasn't a king, and he wasn't a Jew. He was one of those people that just kind of made himself friends with like the popular kids so that he could be popular. The kind of, kind of person that kind of buddied up to the ones that had all the power so that maybe some of their power would rub off on me. You know, that one in the movie, that real sly, wicked one that just like weasels his way in to the people who had all the power. Well, in those days, Rome had the power. And so he's able to make himself favorable to the Romes and to Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus puts him in charge kind of like a governor would be the best way to explain it, a governor of Galilee, which Galilee wasn't huge. It wasn't like this really big honor, but it was enough to kind of get him on the map. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for seven years, he kind of climbs the ladder, as it were, in power. And there's a whole other 
thing that goes with that and how he managed to do that and how he managed to make himself uh, favorable, but he does. <clears throat> and so Herod, um, he becomes now the ruler over all of the Jews, and now he calls himself the king of the Jews. Okay, well, he was extremely evil. He was a very um, murderous, wicked, paranoid man. Um, he had several members of his family killed because he was paranoid of losing his power. Um, so in chapter 2 here, in verses 1 through 3, it says that the Magi come riding into Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So here's Herod, terrified for his throne that he doesn't really deserve and he knows it. And all of a sudden, this impressive group of kingmakers come riding in on Persian steeds, not camels, and declare that they are looking for the newborn king of the Jews. And Herod flips out. He was a nervous, terrified wreck. The text says that he was troubled. Well, yeah. Translated, that means agitated, visibly shaken. Okay, he was afraid. Here he is calling himself the king of the Jews, and these kingmakers come riding in looking for the newborn king of the Jews, and he knows that's not me. And the people knew Herod. They knew what kind of king, or, you know, king he was. They knew what kind of man he was. They knew that if he was afraid and panicking, they should probably be panicking too. If something was wrong with Herod, then something bad's about to happen. And their fear was rightly placed because, you know, just a few verses, we see how he slaughters all the boys under the age of two because he's looking for Jesus. So a side note here, there were not three magi. We don't know how many there were. The Bible doesn't tell us. John MacArthur's best guess is 12. So I'm going to go with that too, most likely 12. And they most likely brought half the Persian army with them, probably for traveling purposes and things like that. So, you know, the picture that we usually see, and it's everywhere. I mean, it's on Christmas cards, and it's ingrained in my brain since I can remember. These three men quietly sauntering through the desert on camels with crowns on their heads. They were not kings. They did not wear crowns. They were not kings. They were king makers. They were the priests. Now, they had hats, like a pointy kind of thing, but it wasn't a crown. Um, they were priests from the tribe of Magi, and they came storming through the streets. They didn't come in quietly. Everyone knew that they were there. They would have been the talk of the town. Everyone knew that they were there, and everyone knew what they were there to do. So Herod decides that he now has to do something. So he gathers all the chief priests and the scribes together, and he asks them about the birth of the Messiah. And you might think, oh, good. Well, at least he's talking to the priests. Well, no, because these priests, although they were Jews, and they did go through the motions of being religious. They were really just like corrupt politicians. If you follow their story through the gospel accounts, you'll see they were enemies of Christ. They were not the ones to be consulted. They were Jews, but they were not believers. And they knew the scriptures because they tell Herod how it is written. And then they proceed to quote Micah 5.2. So they know the scriptures, but they were indifferent to his birth. They were indifferent to the birth of Christ. They were his own people, yet they couldn't even be bothered to even recognize that he, his coming. So Herod decides that now he should just talk to the Magi himself. So in verse 7, he calls a secret meeting with the Magi, and he plays on their love of astronomy. It says that he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
So it's like, hey, so what about that star, huh? That's kind of cool. Like, I mean, you guys know a lot about astronomy, right? So, I mean, what, what, I've never seen anything like that. What do, you, what do you think about that? He was such a liar. He was such a manipulative, sly man. He had no intention of worshiping Jesus. Bring him back to me. Bring back word so I can worship him too. He was such a liar. He was such a manipulator. Now, all of this happened months after Jesus was born. Months after. Um, at least several, probably more, um, months after he was born. They were no longer in the manger. Verse 11 says that they went to the house to see where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were living. So go home and check your manger scene, okay? And if there are three mysterious figures with crowns on their heads, delete them from the scene. They were not there. They were not there when the shepherds were there and when the cattle were lowing and the baby was born and swaddling clothes. That's not, they weren't there. It was years later. I was joking with my husband and I said, you know, we're going to set up the manger scene and then further on down the mantle, we'll put them and we'll make like a little signpost that says a few months later, because we can't delete them. I mean, they're very important and integral here. So we can't, you know, kick them out to the garage with the rest of the Christmas decor that didn't make the cut. Like we have to use them. But, um, but they, they weren't there whenever Jesus was born. So what did they do when they got there? Well, verse 11 says that they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped him, and they brought him offerings of expensive gifts. So here we are. Remember, I told you that Matthew's theme is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king and is therefore to be worshipped. So think of everywhere else in scripture that you know where something other than God was worshipped. They were told to stop it, stand up, don't worship me, don't worship that, worship God. The worship was redirected to God. But what do we have here? We have them falling down and worshipping him, and it's the right thing to do. Why? Because Jesus is king, because it's right, because he is to be worshipped. So then the Magi are warned, don't go back to Herod, go back home another way, so they go back home to the east. You know, I just love this. You see God's heart for the nations here because now we have these magi, these respected, revered kingmakers are heading home to their part of the ancient world with the life-changing news that the Messiah has been born. You just see the Lord spreading the news of, of the gospel. That's beautiful. So what can we take away? from this exciting passage of scripture. What does that mean to us? How can we leave here changed, different, because of what we've read? Well, we can't help but notice that there are three different types of people, three groups um, of people here reacting to the birth of Christ. We have the hostile and angry. We have the indifferent and distracted. And finally, we have those who are adoring him in real worship. So my question to you tonight is, which one are you? Which group are you? How do you see Jesus? Are you like Herod? Are you here tonight as an unrepentant fool who is unwilling to let go of what you love and idolize and worship the one true king? Because Herod said he believed. He said that he believed and that he wanted to worship Jesus, but in the end, it was just selfish gain that he wanted. He just loved himself so much more than he loved anything else. Is that you? 
Do you panic with fear and anger anytime someone wants to talk about Jesus? Are you like the chief priests, maybe, and the scribes and all of Israel at that time? Are you indifferent to the birth of the Messiah? Does it not really change anything about you? Do you put up manger scenes and even sing Christmas hymns and pray before meals just because that's what you do this time of year? Because the chief priests were really great at doing religious-looking things. They looked really busy. They looked very religious. They looked like they were doing all the right things. But when it really gets down to it, when that little baby grows up and asks you to lay down and submit your life, do you lose interest? Are you more worried about looking like a good Christian to all of your friends than you are actually being a true believer? Because I really think that our culture is like that. I think that we love the story of the sweet mama on the donkey and the cuddly baby wrapped in a cloth. It's a sweet story, and it is a sweet story. And even unbelievers talk about the story this time of year. And it suddenly becomes okay to pray before meals and to be thankful this time of year. I mean, I was even watching a secular TV show, and they started talking about baby Jesus. And I was like, well, look at that. They're talking about Jesus. Okay. I mean, they didn't get it completely right, but they were talking about him. And, you know, you even hear unbelievers singing, Oh, come all ye faithful, without really knowing what it means or caring what it means. And all of a sudden, your unbelieving neighbor has a blow-up manger scene on his front lawn. And it's okay. It's acceptable. Because that's what we do this time of year. It's Christmas. But what happens when that little baby comes out of the manger and grows into a man and starts asking you to lay down your life? Because Jesus was born to die. You cannot separate the cradle from the cross. You cannot celebrate Christmas without embracing Easter. You must realize why that little baby was born. He was born to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for the sins of those that believe. Jeremiah Johnson, who is a blogger for Grace to You, says it like this. How you respond to Christ, even in his infancy, sets the course for your eternity. Nothing is more important. Now, I think we can take this point a little bit different way. Okay, we can take this point maybe a little bit more applicable to a lot of us here. Maybe you are a true believer. Christ is your all in all. You do love him and worship him, and he really does rule your life. You do submit to him, but maybe your Christmas season is in danger of looking like this. We must be on guard of letting Christmas decorations and good food and family and no school and movies and gifts and the perfect Christmas cookie recipe distract us from seeing Christ. You must not be more committed to finding the perfect gravy recipe than you are to, to committing yourself to worshiping Christ. Listen to me. Jesus will be more exalted if you and your family sit around an undecorated house and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches than if you sit down at a table that is perfectly decorated and wonderfully coordinated with your tree and the turkey that, that was basted at just the right moment and the gravy recipe that everyone raves about, but nobody speaks his name. We must keep our focus. Don't be distracted. Now, it's okay to cook. It's okay to decorate. My house is already decorated for Christmas. It's fine, but just keep your focus. Keep your focus where it needs to be. Don't go through the motions of the right, of having the right season that you forget 
because there's going to be thing after thing after thing on your calendar. It's December 1st. This is probably the first of, you know, all the calendar things that are going to start happening, uh, most likely. So don't get distracted. Don't fall into bed at night so exhausted from your long day of doing Christmassy things that you forget to pray and worship. Don't stay out late looking at Christmas lights and then get home and look at your watch and think, oh, it's so late. I know we didn't do family worship, but the kids just need to go to bed. We were out so late. No, you do family worship. Do family worship before you go look at lights. That is more important than all these Christmassy things that we think are so important. Don't forget to look up and remember that the baby has been born that has taken away your sin. Don't forget that he has come for you. You are rescued. And you now stand as a child of God and death has lost its grip on you. And no amount of candles or wreaths or Christmas lights should ever take his place in your heart. My friends, I'm ashamed to admit that I've had years like that. I have. I've had years like that where I did all these amazing Christmassy things. I decorated the right way. I had, you know, everyone talked about my cookie recipe at the get-together. I had a party for them and a party for them and a party for them. And the kids and I remembered to do this. And I got on Pinterest and downloaded a whole bunch of cool crafts. And I was just like the Christmas mom of the year. But then in January, I looked up and realized how far away I was from him. I realized that my quiet times had suffered and that my prayer life was feeble because I was just so busy doing Christmas that I missed Christmas. Remember the truth about Christ and don't miss him. Don't be unmoved by his power and what he's done for you. Because lastly, we can be like the Magi. Adoring, humble, worshiping in love the true King of Kings. With your heart so full of Christ that nothing else could take his place and not losing focus, even when things are hard. Things are hard. You know that thing, that thing, that trial that you have? Don't let it distract you. Keep your focus. Trials are meant to draw us closer to God, not pull us away. And at Christmas time, those trials that we struggle with can sometimes feel so much heavier, can't they? Lonely feels so much more lonely at Christmas. And missing that person is just so much harder at Christmas. And that trial that keeps me from doing what I want to do is harder at Christmas. Don't lose focus. Don't let it distract you. And the Bible doesn't tell us anything about the Magi's journey, but it had to be hard. I mean, going across the desert on a horse, I mean, that had to be difficult. But they didn't lose their focus. They remembered who they were. They remembered who he was. They kept their focus, and they remembered, and they knew that it was all going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So which category are you tonight? Because the truth of it is that in the end, the only thing that's going to matter is what you've done with the person of Christ. Were you terrified and angered and pushed him away? Were you distracted and forgot that he was even there? Or will we embrace the truth of his life and his death and his resurrection and worship him with our whole hearts? Let's pray. Dear Lord, would you help us? Lord, we want Christmas to be about you. You are our all in all. You are our king. You are 
our God. And we want Christ to be exalted. We want you to be what Christmas is about. Let us not get distracted. But we want to serve and we want to do good things and we want to, we want to have a, a Christmas season that definitely has fun and laughter, but we don't want to forget you. Would you draw us close to you? Would you keep us in your word? Would you keep us praying? And Lord, if there are some here tonight that do not know you, would you, would you open their hearts? Would you help them see the truth of, their, of your gospel? Would you drive them to their knees, Lord, so that they see you for who you really are? Lord, would you be, would you be glorified in all of our hearts this evening? May we start this Christmas season full of you and may it not dwindle. May we keep the love for you in our hearts all throughout this month and for the months to come so that when we look up and pay attention, we realize that we are more like your son today than we were previous because that is the cry of our hearts. And we love you. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think.